0: Okay, so welcome back or welcome to the Branded Podcast. I'm really excited about this week's guest, um, Dr. Tom Goriello. Uh, He is a PhD psychologist um, and has been working with brands for many, 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 many years. Um, We touch upon many subjects, psychometrics, we touch upon AI and what that means for brands, and we also touch upon um, brand personality and what that means in the 21st century. Um, So I was really excited about this conversation, and it went really, really well, and we touched upon some really interesting insights. So I'm really excited for you all to hear it, and with that, enjoy the show. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm great, Jordan. How are you? I'm really good. (laughs) Um, So just a little bit of background about uh, the Branded podcast is um, really, you know, we're going through a time that everything, it seems, is shifting. Media, um, a lot of different uh, consumer brands, specifically CPG brands, uh, a completely unprecedented time. And I think a lot of the... um, uh, tried and true methods of brand building and consumer behavior, and what we thought we knew about consumer behavior is completely shifting. Um, so, the podcast really looks at the intersection of three different disciplines. So, uh, the discipline of brand builders, people who are building both new brands and uh, older brands, and then brand agencies, people who are helping to build those brands. Um, either new brands or reviving older brands and then the artists and academics, the people at the razor's edge um, of society, the razor's edge of what's perhaps new um, or emerging and I think that's a really great segue into yourself um, as you are a PhD, you are a psychologist, so if you don't mind just maybe giving a little bit of background about yourself and how you've come to Um, learn about people uh, as well as the mind and how that relates to um, brands and technology uh, and whatever else is relevant.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the, on the show. I'm really happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, As you mentioned, I'm a psychologist and you know, I started my, um, I started my academic uh, uh, studies in psychology because I was always interested in, in, what what it is that um, makes us who we are? You know, who am I, and why do I do what I do? Those two fundamental questions of psychology have always been important to me, and um, so I started off being a clinician. I I wanted to help people, uh, and uh, studied clinical psychology and got a master's degree in clinical psychology. Started working in an institution for seriously mentally ill people while I was studying for my master's degree. And that was a a transformative experience to see human life in, in some of the more extreme conditions that, that human beings uh, find ourselves in sometimes. And that was, you know, that, that, that uh, um, uh, provided me with a kind of a, a, a way of understanding that in, in, In fundamental ways, we are all alike, even though, you know, here I was with spending a lot of time with people who were in extreme emotional, psychological distress. And yet there was always something that we could connect on with one another. And that was a that was a great experience for me. I continued on and got my Ph.D. in clinical psychology and worked again in in mental health for the next actually the next, uh, almost 15 years. I spent, I spent, by the time all was said and done, I spent almost about 20 years as a clinician and, and really cherished that experience. But at the same time started doing, I was working in a community mental health center in the uh, Eastern suburbs of Pittsburgh. And, um, uh, as so often happens in the human services field, you get promoted if you have you know, an interest in trying to build systems and do things. And so I kept getting promoted into uh, administrative kinds of roles, and one of those roles took me into a position that led to um, – Using technology in uh, in a, a very early form of technology, which was the very first word processor that any of us had ever seen in 1979, uh, a, a team of us wrote a federal grant application on this standalone word processing system, which was this fantastic magic device. And I was really taken by technology at that point. It was it really was magic to me, and so. Um I, I ended up being involved in implementing uh, management information systems in this mental health center where I worked. And then in other uh, human service agencies, I started getting, I was a, I was a because I was doing administrative uh, work in the mental health center where I was working during the day, I had started a, a private practice to be a clinician at night because I still wanted to do therapy. Uh, but then I started getting calls to be a consultant. And I used my my um, my practice as a platform for consulting. And so that was, um, you know, now it it, it, you know, the numbers start to boggle your own mind. But that was, you know, now almost uh, over 30 years ago that I started my consulting practice. And uh, and so um, I started working with organizations First around technology implementation and then very quickly got into the organizational dynamics that led people to believe that they had a technology problem when they really had an organizational problem. You know, all the technology what do you mean by that? well because you know you think well we're going to get this computer and it's going to solve our problems you we're know, going it's going to it's going to give us what we need all the information to 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 make decisions and so on. but the, but meanwhile it was the same people making decisions in the same way that they had made before and communicating in the same ways that they had done before and so all the all the technology did was to amplify kind of the problems in the organization if you had bad communication you know for example among the silos of the, of the organization all it did was to was to create silo wars then based on information rather than just personalities and so i started seeing the um uh it was it was almost like doing family therapy for me at that point in the organization is trying to bring the organization together to function more effectively and efficiently and that 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 I did that in healthcare for about the first five years of my consulting practice and then got absolutely sick of healthcare after being in healthcare for a long time and joined a, uh, an organizational development consulting firm and started working with brands for the first time. And that was really uh, – that was now almost 25 years ago that was a that was a great eye opener because i had never worked in a commercial context before i'd always worked in a not for profit uh, organization and so you know the whole idea of profit and making money and how do you do that was you know i was a child of the 60s and this was all kind of like hmm i don't know how i feel about this but but boy the opportunity to maximize performance in a in an organization in a brand and then to have that D- deliver great results in the form of money and happiness for people, that really became a, that, you know, that was, uh, uh, that was too much for me to resist. So I've been consulting with brands ever since.
0: Hmm. So that's a great segue into the first question. The Well, the first real question. And as I kind of alluded to before, you know, brand building is really changing. And I think because of technology, once again, um, so, my question to you is, what is an iconic brand in the 21st century? Which is kind of large and overarching, but, uh, you know, I think it's an important question. Well,
1: so do I. I think, um, uh, first of all, the idea of being iconic is, um, you know, icons are are symbols, and they're symbols of something, mm-hmm. right? And so if, if if I think about what is iconic in the 21st century, as you say, technology is certainly a critical element of being iconic and, but, but technology in the service of something is what really then uh, I think makes a brand stand out as iconic because it is um, uh, it's, it's in the, in the service of something important to the brand. And, you know, that doesn't mean that it has to be important to everybody, but it's important to the people in the brand and important to the brand. So when I think about an iconic brand in the 21st century, uh, I think of Amazon. And and, and I think of Amazon as iconic in that it has uh, grown in the execution of the technology in the service of a very... uh, 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 enormous goal And that is the enormous goal of getting Everything To Customers that they want As Quickly, as in as frictionless a manner As possible for the best Possible price And they've they've Taken that principle And they've just Executed it and executed It and executed it So I think it's that um iconic brands today, in my view, are brands that resonate with the, with the zeitgeist, that re- resonate with the spirit of the times.
0: Okay, and so that's interesting that you bring up Amazon because the first thing that I think about when I hear Amazon is customer-centric. I know that is something that Jeff Bezos really um, focuses on, customer-centric, 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 focus on the yeah. customer and yeah. deliver to the customer in service of what I think I'm hearing you saying is the mission of um, yeah. faster, cheaper uh, goods to the customer, frictionless uh, goods to the customer via whatever the technology may be, if it's voice or e-commerce, whatever. Yeah. Um, now, what I'm trying to understand is the principles, and it seems like this principle of customer-centric is something that can be applied to other brands. Uh, and. Is that right? Is that? Do you think that is what other brands that are not necessarily as um, technologically savvy as Amazon say? The bakery down the street, or the the you know the car mechanic up the road. Is that something that they can? Um, uh, is that something that they can uh, learn from Amazon um, moving forward as a brand to to be great or iconic or, or just really good brand builders in the 21st century?
1: yeah that's a great question. i think uh, I, uh, uh, that um uh, customer centric to me is a uh, is an expression of something deeper and the ex mm. and and to me, it's an expression of care mm. the um the and it's 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 difficult to talk about care without, you know, uh, uh, sounding like, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of being nice. And that's, that's not what, that's not the, the sense in which I'm using the word care. I'm using the word care to indicate a, um, a deep commitment to, um, uh, to the work, a deep commitment to, the 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 mission to the principles of of what it is that you're doing. And so uh, you know it it's it's um it's it's the difference between holding an object in your hand that you it, 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 and holding that object immediately um brings the care that was invested in its creation immediately brings that to your experience. You feel it, you hear it, you smell it, you touch it, you know it immediately. Like this was not something done in a hasty, superficial manner. It was done in a caring manner. It was done in a way that even uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, and you know, Steve Jobs quotes are now, You know, unfortunately, like anything that's that's brilliant wisdom can become a cliche. But it's that idea that Steve Jobs always talked about, about finishing the back of the drawer, you know, his father, you know, the idea that the
0: the autobiography with the the inside of the. Or the, the he was a carpenter, right? Or uh,
1: his father, uh, yeah. So the idea that that the that the parts you don't see get yeah, the same the care as the parts you do see. Right. Well, that's a reflection of a deep commitment to caring, and so I think that's what distinguishes a brand. So if you're a bakery down the street, and your customers come in and immediately they experience the care you have for your. Um, for your craft in everything about the environment that they experience, in the way it looks and smells, the sounds, the you know, the just everything about it is an expression of care. That's where brands can, regardless of their size, can demonstrate their value to the people that they want to do business with. So, so yeah, customer centric, I think, is a is a a, a key expression of caring.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, okay, so back to this idea of technology. I think something that I find myself asking, perhaps you ask other people as well, or um, you know, students of yours or clients or whatever, ask what is going to change in the future? How do we adapt to the future of what is going to change? But I think perhaps a more interesting question is what will not change? You know, what do you think branding, brand building, um, what with regards to brand building will not change and how can brands and and individuals index upon those things, um, to secure their uh, worthiness for lack of a better word, um, Mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. How how do you, how do you think through that?
1: Well, I think, um, uh, Credibility is pivotal for um, and is pivotal and will, I believe will continue to be pivotal in the future, um, particularly now, when we live in a time when hype is so pervasive and is so instantly exposable. You know, it used to be that you could, you know, you could say things that weren't so, and you could um, you could get away with it. You, could, you didn't have to be as consistently credible as you have to be today, because it's the the implications of not being credible, not living up to your promise to uh, of what your brand says it's going to deliver, they impl- they're in immediately um, visible. To the world, we communicate one other, with one another. We love to communicate failure. We love to 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 let other people know. You know, here's this this brand or here's this person that says this, and this is what they really are like. You the, the,
0: know, uh, yeah, the negative Yelp review.
1: Absolutely, right. and and you know, while while that's you know, we kind of get a little um, uh, worried about you know how easy it is to trash. Uh, someone or something. The fact is that consistent credibility is going to carry the day. So, you know, yeah, that you can get one lousy review, you know, and you look, I just ate at a restaurant, my, my wife and I just ate at a restaurant in London, uh, that, you know, had, had one review and somebody didn't like, you know, the, 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 the food and didn't like whatever. And you know, but, but there were hundreds of reviews (laughs) of people who really did like the place and loved the food and loved the atmosphere. So, you know, the credibility of that performance made a huge difference. So I don't think that's going to change at all because we, um, we seek that kind of, uh, uh, reliable, credible engagement. So that we don't have to worry about, you know, the things that we're being told about something. You know, it's a big cognitive load to having to work like like if if every time somebody says something to you, you have to think now, is that real or is that bullshit? Is that really did they do they really mean that? Or is you know, no, but if if you if you have that implicit um, belief in the credibility that's been earned by the person or the brand, then it just takes so much. I don't have to worry about ordering something from Amazon. Like, am I really going to get what I ordered? Are they really going to, is that package going to show up? I, the, the last thing I have to worry about is whether or not that package is going to show up. They have credibly developed that reliability. And to me, that's, you know, that's extremely valuable.
0: So, <clears> hmm. <throat> So the last guest that I had on <clears throat> was this gentleman by the name of um, Alan uh, Clement, and he he's this uh, a practitioner and um, teacher of this Jobs to Be Done theory. I'm not sure yes. if you're you're aware of it.
1: Very very uh, yes, I'm 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 very very excited about about Clay Christensen's Jobs to Be Done uh, model.
0: Oh, awesome! So maybe we can talk about it for a little bit. Um, sure, because. It, you know, Alan was trying, or he. I asked a similar question, and he was trying to articulate that the product doesn't matter. It's about expressing. It's about expressing um, progress to the individual, and speaking to the the progress that they're trying to to make in their life. And he gave the example of um, Snickers and Snickers speaking to the job of satisfying hunger instead of speaking to the job of a candy bar or whatever it may be, we also spoke about Donald Trump and uh, Barack Obama, and how both of them interestingly spoke to the idea of or the progress of hope in the future, hope and change in the future, or as in donald trump's um, rhetoric or whatever you want to call it was uh um, you know make america great it's like hope in the future for people again Uh, again again (laughs) right again right 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 so it's very interesting but i could think both with snickers barack obama and donald trump you could assert or at least in my opinion you can say that the product is not living up to the progress that they articulated um but you know it for the person uh or the last guest alan i guess he was saying that um the product doesn't matter which which i I sort of disagree with. So I'm interested in your idea of jobs to be done and speaking to progress, as well as this idea of, not even idea, but brands in the future, or uh, that brands that resonate in the future are gonna have to um, uh, execute on all of the touch points, every single one congruent with the the true north, whatever it may be. So I'm interested in, on your take um, on that, The the, the, the product as it relates to progress Jobs to be
1: done, etc. So the um, uh, the the, um, the the model is called jobs to be done, right? So it's not mm-hmm. job to be done. So right. the one of the key insights of the model is that there are multiple jobs to be done by a by anything, by any product or experience. So. Um, and uh, uh christensen's model uh analyzes the jobs into three main categories which are functional, emotional and social. so now uh, to, to say that the product doesn't matter i believe is to omit the the importance of the functional characteristics of the jobs so that um i i um uh, I may weigh the emotional characteristic of a, of a Snickers, uh, it makes me happy. It makes me happy to open the package. I, I, I love that moment of opening the package and that first moment of, you know, getting the aroma of, of the, of the, of the, of the candy bar and anticipating, you know that first bite, and that's a, that's an emotional job. I want to be, I want to have that moment of excitement that the that that the that the product delivers to me. But if the product doesn't meet its functional uh, job to be done, which is to to manage my hunger, to help me manage my hunger adequately by having the characteristics, the ingredients, the you know the flavors that are going to you know keep me um, uh, both you know liking it in its current in, and in its in, in the one that I'm eating and wanting me to buy more. So if it, if it doesn't have those functional kinds of of uh, tick marks, if you will, in the jobs category, then it's probably not going to meet all the jobs to be done that 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 the the candy bar has for me. Now that's the important part. The for me. Hmm. For me, for me, snickers may have a social job to do as well. In other words, I may be, and this is this is where uh, discovering the jobs to be done, the particular jobs to be done for individuals is um is a subtle art. It's not a matter of, you know, Uh, uh, giving uh, a survey and asking people to check off, you know, boxes. It's It's a much more interactive, qualitative process of exploring the potential jobs to be done for this individual and for this individual and for this individual, and then starting to move from the particulars to the more general themes that you learn in those in those discussions with people. So for example, well, you know, you think about, um, about Snickers and whether it's social, what's the social job to be done of a, of a, of a Snickers? Well, um, I kind of, you know, I'm an old man and you know, um, um, maybe, uh, maybe the having a Snickers is a, uh, an indication that I'm you know, I'm kind of a. I, I'm sort of with it. I'm not. I'm not too. Uh, you know, I'm not too stuffy and stodgy that I won't. You know, sit down and have a Snickers with somebody. And you know, it's kind of a. You know, it's a youthful signal. That sort of that that might be a social job to be done for me for a Snickers bar. may right. not be for the next person, but maybe there's more people like me. I always and I'm. I'm sure you remember this from class, Jordan. If you experience it, others experience it, right? Right, right. If, right. if you're the. It, so you're not alone and experiencing that that hmm I, you know the Snickers makes me feel kind of like i'm i'm all right i'm kind of a kid i'm sort of okay here i get, so um a uh, long way of saying i think that the the functional the emotional and the social um meaning of the product the jobs to be done uh of the product uh, are a very I think a very powerful lens to use for examining brands, uh, products and experiences.
0: How would you go about doing that? I know that you sort of already alluded to that in your, you know, previous articulation, but I'm curious about maybe more granular detail of, or maybe we can dissect a brand right now, like that you think, okay, let's, um, I don't know. It's pick a brand, anyone, um, maybe Warby Parker is a good example. I'm looking at your glasses. I don't know if they're Warby Parker, but, uh, they,
1: uh, actually know, but they're an interesting, they're an interesting example.
0: Okay, um, cause I, the, I I'm, I've, sorry, I sorry to interrupt you, but I, that's I've, um, right. <laughs> I've read about jobs to be done and a, a lot, and it's actually the first time I've heard social, uh, emotional and functional broken up like that. I remember that. And I, I remember, and I use that a lot in some of the clients that I work with doing the, you know, just traditional brand strategy. But I'm I'm interested in, in it in the context of jobs to be done. So so let's continue with um, Warby Parker. So
1: um, so, um, so let's think about these glasses that you just uh, commented on. Yeah. These are uh, these are new glasses.
0: Okay. And <laughs> they
1: are uh, well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> They are readers, you know, they're, and I have been, I've worn prescription glasses since I was 13 and have gone through, you know, contacts and then you get too old for contacts in some ways because then you can't, you know, you, you need glasses to read and you, you know, different things. So, you know, I've gone back and forth to glasses and, and, and so about, um, I guess now about maybe three or four years ago, I went back to wearing the same frames that i wore when i was 13 which are these ray-ban wayfarer black without the sunglass ones i have the sunglass ones as well and those are my those. that's what i wear every day is my glasses so and i also bought a pair of these as readers because uh they're progressive i have progressive lenses in in these as bifocals right so so I, most of the time I'll be wearing those, but if I'm just going to read, I really, and for where it in front of the computer at this distance, I'm sitting here in front of a 27 inch IMAX. So I need a pair of glasses that'll help me see the whole thing. So I said, okay, well, I, so I got a pair of, um, readers that were same frames, except tortoise shell not black so i could tell the difference between the two because i'm old and i know i'll never be able to tell the difference if they look the same so yeah. like, oh, i know i'll get the tortoise shell for the readers in the black from the everyday all right great they were 500 bucks for the for the the, the ray-bans from my ophthalmologist with the right you know the, the perfect prescription reader uh lenses and so on and i'm happy i was happy with those i'm happy with them but i i realized I need, I need a couple more pair. I need a pair for my computer up here. I need a pair downstairs for where I read on my iPad on, you know, my favorite chair downstairs. And and I could actually use a pair in my bag so that I always have a pair of readers in my bag. I said, wait a minute, I'm going to spend another grand on two more. No, I'm not spending a grand on two more pair of reading glasses only. That's goofy. So yeah. what do I do? What did I do? So I said, okay, um, I'll uh, I'll I'll go to Warby Parker. So I went to Warby Parker, and I got you know similar kinds of uh, uh, frames, not exactly Ray Ban frames, but you know they they look really close, and they were terrible, functionally oh, wow. terrible. The lenses were terrible. They absolutely did work. They were terrible. So it was like, wow. huh, wow, that's really something. Well, let me try again. Try it again. Terrible two times terrible. I said, okay. Now, and I even went into the store. I, I didn't just, you know, I said, okay, maybe the first time it was an online, you know, the thing, the prescription wasn't right. So let me go into the store. went into the store, had my readers, did the thing, got them back. Terrible, terrible again. I, <laughs> said, I said, okay, well, that's, you know, now from a, from a, a, from an emotional and social point of view, let's now look at the jobs to be done of Warby Parker for me, Yeah, you know, I'm a hip guy. I like technology. It's like, you know, here's a, here's a modern brand that's using all of the, you know, the power of technology to bring the price of this uh, down to 95 bucks. And, you know, it's, it's really going to be, it's going to be, but it functionally didn't work for me. Absolutely. Functionally didn't work socially. It was cool to tell people, Hey, you know, Warby, yeah, my Warby Parker's, you know, they're great, except they didn't work. They didn't work. So, month ago, month ago, I'm, um, I'm in Walmart. Uh, No, I'm sorry. I'm in Costco. I'm in Costco with my daughter who's in from out of town and, and we're walking in Costco and, and, um, she says, you see those? And I look over and here's four pairs of reading glasses in all of the, you know, the just like the, the, the classic uh, drugstore, you know, one one two five one five two. So I find my strength uh, for my glasses, and they look just like my my, my ray bans I mean, from any kind of distance, they look like my Ray ban frames. Only they were sixteen dollars for the four pairs of readers. Right. So so now here I was you know thinking and and Costco by the way is a is a I think a great example of a brand that has taken its functional advantage of price and has done something to transform the emotional and social um experience so that the job to be done of social acceptability you know I don't I hate going to Walmart I absolutely hate. I hate setting foot in a Walmart. It it, it makes me feel it, it's 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 distressing to me mm-hmm. to set foot into a Walmart. This it just doesn't. I don't. I well, let's not delve too deeply into my psyche, but it's not <laughs> a very pleasant experience for me to set yeah. foot into a Walmart. And I used to have a similar little bit of a similar experience with Costco, but Costco helped me to. Get over that by helping me to be able to shed some of the mm. the prejudices, some of the preconceptions about, you know, I don't have to go to Costco. I can uh. go to somewhere else and get, but, but it turned out that an emotional job to be done for buying toilet paper turned out to be paying the least amount that I could for the same product at Walmart and not feeling like a jerk for paying three times as much somewhere else. So, so Costco had, had, had sort of took its to me took its functional advantage in price because of its, you know, its model, its business model, and, and, and had that then move into an emotional and social realm so that when we, we, we've, we live in Princeton, we've lived here for now about going on five years, but we lived in, in, um, uh, in Stamford, Connecticut for uh, 17 years, and, you know, st- you know, Fairfield County, Connecticut. Right. I mean, you know, Fairfield County, one of the richest counties in America. Like, wow. Well, the Walmart parking lot, I mean the, I'm sorry, the Costco parking lot in Norwalk, Connecticut looked like a Mercedes Benz dealership (laughs) and an Audi dealership. Right. I mean, all the it's you know I started I would I would look around and I'd go everybody has gotten over this problem with shopping at a discounter because Costco proved that at the emotional and social job to be done of a discount retailer could be done for anybody at any economic level when they positioned themselves to get that to to satisfy that job to do that job adequately. So, um, you know, unfortunately Warby Parker didn't do that for me, but here of all places, I never would have expected Costco to be a place where I borrow reading glasses. Wow. Huh. That's and So, and so now you asked, how do you find that out? Well,
0: yeah. Yeah. How, I, how do you, I, I, yeah. How do you I do dissect that?
1: Well, I think you, you, um, you sit down and you have a conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is a qualitative research methodology that you're doing. So you're not going to have a thousand subjects, you know, you're going to have you're going to pick, you know, maybe 20 really um, representative people and begin by asking them about their experience of the product so just like i told you about my my eyeglass needs and where what jobs i wanted them to do where and so on you know you you start off by asking where'd you get those glasses when did it when did it become it uh um uh, evident to you that you needed glasses And then the story Begins to, uh, to unfold And right. your job Your job then as an Interviewer is to be Listening for The, uh, the Key moments at which The, the individual Experiences A um, Either a, a, a resonance or a dissonance with their with their functional emotional or social job to be done which may not have been implicit which may not have been explicit most of the time you know jobs to be done are implicit you have to you have to help people to unearth them you know to kind of right. reveal the job you, i mean the you know the iconic story that christensen uses is the, the milkshake, milkshake right right so nobody knew that the milkshake that the major job a major job to be done was for the milkshake to to essentially entertain the person from the time they got it till the time they got to work, you know, to help them fill right. that time. There was more to it than just, you know, the sweetness and the filling and so on. There was also something, um,
0: which is an emotion- emotional job, right?
1: Exactly. Right. 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 And emo- that emotional job was being done by the thing, be, you know, taking time to consume. And that was a set emotionally satisfying That, you know, I had something to do while I'm driving my car to work kind of thing. So so it's a it's a method that that requires patience and, you know, um, an exploratory point of view uh, in conversation with a customer rather than asking for, and, and, and finish the sentence stuff rather than asking for, you know, quick kind of answers to survey questions, which have their value, of course. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of research of quantitative and qualitative research being used hand in hand to reveal the full picture of what an individual's experience is like with a brand.
0: Great, really good. Tom, is branding important? Well,
1: I mean, I think branding is important in in that you know we see that the the difference in companies that have attained uh, strong brands versus those that have not is multiples of market cap and valuation and customer experience and so on. So you know, I mean, I I, I think. Um, if you if and and we know by virtue of the psychological studies that have been done on on, uh, you know, we psychologists are liars. And so we lie to people all the time in research, right. And tell yeah. them one thing and we're really doing something else. And, you know, we know from all those studies that, that, you know, if you tell pers- a person that something is something that they have a strong brand affinity for, they'll, the experience of the thing is different than it would be if you told them it was something else. That's the classic Coke, Pepsi experiments and so on. So, so obviously branding is very important, uh, in, and, um, it's, uh, you know, it's worth an awful lot of money.
0: <laughs> and do you think there's an Achilles heel of brand building and branding? Like something that it's just, a you know, just everybody seems to get wrong.
1: Well, whether, whether everybody seems to get it wrong or not, I think that, and that's a, I think a really important question an Achilles heel that is, um, uh, Demonstrated over and over again is hubris. The uh, the the uh, um, it's very easy to become smug when you're successful and hubris is an exp- is, is that smugness. And that's what bites brands in the backside uh, real, real frequently. So I, I think hubris is the Achilles heel of, of any brand.
0: Hmm. Do you think that has a correlation to creative destruction and the uh proclivity maybe for brand, uh, uh traditional brands not being able to innovate um and that's why you know startups can take them out
1: Well I think it's a it's a complicated question as to why established brands can't or don't innovate um uh, you know in order to become an established brand you have to build a machine what you do have you mean to by build, that? well you have to build a set of processes that interact seamlessly with one another right, in right. order to to deliver that end to end experience of the product or the or the experience and so you know you build this organization made up of people and processes that deliver what it is you're set up to deliver. And when you get that machine built, damned if you want to mess with it, if it's working, right? Right, I mean, you really want it, you know, you tweak it, you want to, you want to fine tune it, you want to, you know, you want to get it humming. The hard thing to do is to say that machine was great, you know, back when I was, you know, back, (laughs) back back when I was a blacksmith making those horseshoes in this way was absolutely fantastic. I had that now. Now when these cars came along, I'm still, I still like my, you know, my furnace over here that I used to heat the horseshoes and I like my anvil and my hammer. Well, those are great for making horseshoes, but not for, for repairing cars. Right? So, um, when you build something that works, it's very difficult to turn your back on it. Um, the hubris part, I think, comes into play when you're successful and you believe that, first of all, that success is um, uh, somehow a right that you know you you have now become, you know, th- this top whatever, and so. You know, we'll just we'll we'll make we'll make what we want, and we'll you know you'll 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 like it. I mean, you know, that's a, that's an overstatement, but you know, lots of times brands lose sight of the fact that they're losing sight of the fact they're losing sight of their customer. They're losing connections with them. That's why I think hubris can be so uh, so dangerous for a brand. Hmm.
0: And you know, I I know we kind of touched on this before, but uh, there. Seemingly, uh, four mm, facets of a moat to a to a, a business: economies of scale, uh, network effects. Um, I'm blanking on the third one right now, um, and brand is the fourth one. And do you think that brand is still a moat for for businesses? Like I know we spoke of that it's important. Yes, but. Does that necessarily make it a moat for, um, for, for, you know, business strategy and business moving forward? I think the answer is yes, but I, I would love maybe there's a bit deeper of, a, of an answer. I'm not sure.
1: Well, I, you know, if, if you were to ask, I, I think if you were to ask any business leader, would they rather have a strong brand that, they that they use to protect themselves from competition, or would they not rather have a strong brand? I think the answer would be, yeah, I'd rather have a strong brand. It does it does provide me with some protection against the interlopers, right? Which was what moats were supposed to do—to keep the invaders at right. bay, right? right keep right. them away. And so, you know, you could sort of say, yeah, it's a it's a good thing to have. I I, I think an important. Um, uh, element of that today, however, is that um, it used to be the moat felt like an ocean, you know, like, you know, you, you could never challenge a big brand. You could right. never, you know, right. it, it, it was like, wow, this moat, it's got sharks in it. It's got right. all kinds of stuff. Well, today that moat, yeah, it's still there. First of all, it's fragile today. That moat can be ruptured in one day. In one day, your, your moat can be breached because of one thing that happens. That was rarely the case before. You had sustainability of your brand moat, if you will, right. was a lot more reliable than it is today. It doesn't take, I mean, it, it is, it, you know, we see recent examples of this all the time. Take Chipotle, for example. Chipotle, you know, boy, three years ago, Chipotle was a brand that that like you know you thought about. Mm, I'm up for some good quality fast Mexican today. Where am I going to go? Boom! I'm going to Chipotle. It hits, hits ticks all the boxes, right? Then, wow! <laughs> they get hit. They get hit with this with this you know uh, uh, an unfortunate series of of uh, you know safety health and safety failures, and their brand just in one day. Their brand value had to have been cut by two thirds, right? Okay. It was just a demolition, and they've not recovered. They have not recovered from that, not fully. They've recovered some, but they have not recovered fully. So their brand moat was breached in, at that moment, and um, it's very hard to to reclaim that brand. Uh, you know, um, essentially the 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 brand. Um uh, let, you know, let's call it benefit of the doubt. You know, the the brand mm. gives you that benefit of the doubt in situations, but when you have an experience like Chipotle says uh had uh you've got a you got a problem.
0: Mm. So so Tom, I want to talk about three three things that I think that you are probably a lot more well versed than I am, but I'm deeply curious about. Um and I'm curious about them as they relate to people and by extension as they relate to brands so um we spoke about an ocean, but this is a different type of ocean so the big five ocean <laughs> personality uh, yep. openness conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness, and neuroticism i'm I'm deeply fascinated by this uh, and how you know the different how brands but also people can communicate with other people based on their big five and resonate with them i i think it's fascinating because it's really paradigm shifting in terms of um you know it used to be brands come up with this creative and and it's like oh who can we send it to and now it's like well it's kind of backwards we know all the people and what they what potentially might resonate with them um and then we can speak to that specifically and then I'm also interested, uh, you know, Big Five, uh, and I'm interested in AI and robotics, machine learning, voice, all these new technologies. Uh, and then also I'm interested in archetypes and story. And I know these things seem disparate, but I think that they're connected in an interesting way. Um, so I know that that's a really overarching, weird way of th- talking about it, but maybe just to get the ball rolling and, and speaking about, about these things. I'm curious.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, the, that, the the Big Five um, model that you that you describe the ocean model is a uh, so it's let's see forty let's call it forty five years old that, that model and 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 for the four thousand years before that the question of how do you describe personality. Uh, An individual's personality, who is this person, um, has been explored in hundreds and hundreds of different ways by philosophers, by uh, by religious leaders, by psychologists and so on. And, you know, Freud and and and, you know, Jung and B.F. Skinner and, you know, all the all the different ways that we've used to understand personality and then about 45 years ago um uh, psychological researchers started looking at well what are some what are some ways that we can simplify how uh, we can get a quick understanding of an individual's personality and their traits you know there's well there's a long history of of researching into personality traits, and so, um, what 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 the Big Five does, I think, is to provide a a um, a quick snapshot of predominant ways of being in the world. So, an individual who is high in openness to experience will predominantly be exploratory in learning about new things and new opportunities and yes let's go try the new thai restaurant or conversely no i don't want anything but meat and potatoes you know i'm low in openness to experience you know that that's a that's a it's a it's a uh, it's it's a it's a snapshot of the openness dimension and then if you look at all at the other five like you said conscientiousness etc and then and then you say okay now you put all those together and you have a snapshot of a person now I, and and I think uh, uh, analogously a snapshot of a brand you know you sort of get that you know which is what we've tried to do for the last, 50 60 years tried to figure out how to embody a brand with personality so that it has a, a, a it's an easy it's easier for us to do that kind of anthropomorphism that we do with objects and that's you right. know attributing human characteristics to them and so um, that snapshot is is important but it's important to remember that it's a snapshot Right? So, right. so um, hmm. and, and so as we now have become more um, sophisticated in our appreciation of people, and now let's talk about brands, what we, what we know is that, well, every one of those characteristics of the big five, um, um, some days more than others
0: right some, uh, sometimes what, what do you mean by that? Uh, just,
1: some days I'm more open to experience right, than right, other right, days. Right, some days right. I'm more agreeable than, than on other days. Right. I have I have a, a, a range of right. my yes. expression of these characteristics. I'm not a cartoon, I'm not a caricature right And right. so brands have in the past been I guess um, forced in a peculiar way To caricature themselves, to have to be stereotypes of themselves. Today, I think it's possible because we are more, uh, I believe, because we are more accepting of sometimes yes, sometimes no, of individual personality traits and characteristics, we also can give brands more leeway in this kind of flexibility of expression of the big five. They don't have to be trapped in a, in a, you know, in a narrow definition of themselves so that, you know, for example, you know, some earnest brand, you know, um, uh, can, uh, can be a little edgy sometimes and a little neurotic sometimes. And, And if it's done with, you know, that kind of, creative flair that always, you know, makes the difference, then we can say, now that was clever. You know, there's, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, a brand like Coke, you know, doing some edgy ads and you are going, now that's not, you know, that kind of shiny happiness, uh, kind of Right uh, you know uh, agreeableness, high 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 agreeable they can be a little edgy and a little fun because we know that that's a variation on their fundamental personality uh, And so I, I think we've become more sophisticated in understanding that sort of latitude that brands have and brands are getting better at being able to be that sophisticated in expressing themselves.
0: That's beautiful. I've I th- I'm like I, I've got a lot of things going off in my head because I've never, I've never thought about it like that because I see it in my own life, you know. Like some, it's true. Some days I'm more open. Some days I'm more conscientious. Some days high in neuroticism, you know. And absolutely, and, absolutely. And I never thought about it in the context of a brand. Never. And now well, I. I Sorry yeah. go
1: ahead. No 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 please I I I it, because I think we don't because we have been you know we've been trying to get the idea of brand personality instituted and executed. And, um, what, so that meant, you know, consistency, consistency, be consistent about what you, you know, how you communicate. Don't, you know, don't be off message. Don't be off brand. brand right? right. Well, well now you could, you know, you can be off brand as long as you're on brand, you know, right, you right, can, right. you can, you know, you can kind of, you can be playful with your personality. Now you can let some aspects of yourself show, which make you more credible. See, it's the, it's the, the, um, uh, it's that kind of artificial consistency that makes us suspicious of brands because they don't feel real. They're never anything other than just this one thing. Be a little, show us another side of yourself. And the chances are we're going to accept that as long as we understand what the, you know, what the, what the, like the center of gravity of the brand
0: is. How does how does that? I'm so curious. How does that manifest? Um, like I, I know we sort of alluded to it with like Pepsi and Coke and or Coke and you know they they could be a more edgy. But do you see it? Do you see that in newer brands? Perhaps like do you see Warby Parker is a bad example, but um, maybe um, I don't know. I think Google maybe the Google is a brand in my opinion definitely and sure. very perhaps a very um, mm, conscientious brand, maybe. Um,
1: yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think, I think, uh, conscientiousness is a very high, uh, characteristic value for, for Google. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that, that, that maybe what Google has done is to demonstrate um, I always think, you know, when and when not, when are they conscientious, when are they not conscientious? So, right. th- so they're very conscious to me, they're very conscientious in their search, um, algorithm, um, uh, credibility, but you know, the, the, um, uh, I don't know the the sacredness <laughs> of the algorithm to to deliver results. Yes, if you pay, you get results up here right at the top. but as long as it doesn't say add, what you've gotten are results that are um, uh, the result of a fair evaluation of link uh, weights, right? And right. so that's that's their that's where their credibility comes from. but when they but when they do things like, create Google glass and they go, Oh yeah, here's these things for 1500 bucks, you know, like, you know, this is a, this is an experiment basically. So their conscientiousness, it's a different flavor of conscientiousness than, than, then plays itself out in regard to their search algorithm, for example. Uh, So I think, you know, we, we, um, uh, you have to earn your, First of all, you have to earn your personality uh, judgment on the part of the customer, right? And you don't do that instantly. It has to be a matter of credibility and consistency. And so, you know, uh, like 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 Amazon. So when Amazon, um, uh, you know, they they failed with the f- with, with their phone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? They they failed with their with you know their fire is not particularly the most successful product, but when um, uh, when they when they released the Echo, they st- they were still able to convince ten million or so people to buy that even though they'd had the phone and the fire and a couple of other hardware releases that weren't particularly good. How come? Well, I think because the 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 halo effect of their competence in that the brand stands for is so strong that we could say okay well i'll give them a shot i'll give them a chance with with another piece of hardware even though they haven't been particularly good at that up to now so you have to earn that ability to be to be experimental with your personality by having been consistent with your personality, if that makes sense.
0: Mm. And, and just to be clear, the, the earned personality is not necessarily arbitrary. It's something that is strategic. Like, you know, there's a, there's people, executives or brand builders saying, this is, you know, this is what our brand personality is going to be. And this is how we're going to go about doing it.
1: Exactly. Right. The, the, you know, the, 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 the why, the what, and the how, uh, you know, and integrating those—that's the—that's where the credibility comes from, right? When, uh, when you when you see those things deeply integrated and repeatedly expressed and experienced by the customer, then you know. And this is all unconscious, right? This is all taking place at the at the. Uh, At Kahneman system one level, this is all this is all the elephant experiencing these interactions with this brand and coming to quick judgments about about it, about the brand's uh, credibility and about its personality and so on. So uh, once and then once you do that, you know, you have the opportunity, I think, to 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 be playful. But I wouldn't be playful until I'd established something intentional and that's hmm. where that's where as you say this is I don't believe this is just a, a happenstance this is this is an intentional strategic process of aligning the why the what and the how of um, so that you then have a platform to stand on
0: yes absolutely ai archetypes well,
1: well archetypes archetypes emerge you know i mean using using archetypal thinking as a, as a design element in uh, approaching the why, the what, and the how uh, is, I think, a, a key strategic m- model that, you know, um, the purpose of an archetype is to serve as a shorthand and to, and to, back to the Kahneman cognitive load kind of idea, you know, to make it easy to understand who, who you are and, and what you are, um, the, what you stand for and how you express yourself and so on. So, you know, I think archetypes are, are a key strategic element for a brand to, to use. And, and then to, um, uh, you know, like any kind of a strong strategic element, you use it and then you, you, uh, you step away from it, in a, so it's not a heavy-handed kind of a a, a a way of expressing yourself. It's just that underlying fundamental theme, you know. So you know, Apple Apple will will embody the archetype of the magician forever. It it will do so in in ways that don't have to be in your face all the time. Sometimes they'll say to you as they as they do sometimes in their ads. Practically magic. They'll actually use the word yes. to let you know. Just remember, we are magicians. We do, but they use practically magic. So we're practical magicians. You know, very, very smart use of the archetype, in uh, you know, in communication. And sometimes it's there, and sometimes it's not. Um, so, uh, I, so I think it's a it's a pivotal tool, a pivotal strategic tool for executives to use to build brands.
0: And. It, of course archetypes are incredibly important and 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 so deeply rooted in our evolutionary history.
1: Absolutely, yeah, pretty right? true. Sure.
0: Um, so I have a question about uh, you know maybe just running through the archetypes what sort of what are they? Uh, the different types, but also as it relates to AI like Um, And as it relates to sort of robotics, you know, a lot of the things that... I know that they're going to open up new mm, opportunities and new jobs to be done um, for us humans. But at the same time, it's like the archetype of me buying um, paper towel is not necessarily there anymore because... I don't care about the 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 caregiver, right? The caregiver archetype, as it relates, you know, associated my, in my mind to paper towel because I'm just saying Alexa, paper towel, and it's telling me, sure, Amazon, what uh, private label, at this price, and I say, sure, buy, and that's it, right? Um, so I'm interested in that that uh, archetypes. What are they? Um, how are they changing? If they change, they probably don't change. Um, and how it relates to this emerging technology of AI and machine learning and robotics and however different or similar they are.
1: there's a lot there. Um, you know, the, uh, um, as for models of archetypes, uh, you know, there are plenty of models of archetypes and, you know, uh, they're They're easy to to discover. I mean, i i use I use my friend Carol Pearson's model of archetypes uh, in in my, in the class that I teach because I like how it it uh, um, uh, it covers the territory. Uh, I think it covers the territory well, and you know, so. Like I say, these are there. There, there are plenty of models. I I think that so. For example, the archetype of the caregiver that you describe there, in 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 uh, in Amazon. So um, uh, when 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 Amazon behaves in a consistently um nurturing way. Now that's a, an, an odd word, but it isn't in, in the sense that it, it is, it is meeting my needs. It's nurturing my needs for paper towels, right? Which is a kind of a strange construction, but that's, that's what it's doing. So it has become the, the, uh, the archetype, its archetype has, re- has replaced the archetype of the brawny man, let's say that, you know, that heroic archetype which is what Bronny has a paper towel you know you look at the you look at the packaging you look at the at the communication for Bronny, and they're they're heroic there are spills and brawny paper towels come to the rescue, right? And save the day with the paper towel. And it's like, okay, if that's the job to be done of that paper towel, then then an archetypal paper towel, uh, a heroically archetypal paper towel may very well be what you're looking for. But if what you want is paper towels that are reliably going to nurture your need to have something to reach for when you have a spill, then maybe the Amazon, whether it's you know Amazon, what do they call their uh, their own private kind of uh, Amazon Basics, right? Amazon, Amazon Basics, Basics,
0: right? Amazon
1: <laughs> Basics. So maybe the Amazon Basics will be that'll be perfectly fine in that category for me because my jobs to be done there are such that the archetype of the nurturing the nurturing archetype that um, Amazon brings to that transaction is going to meet those jobs to be done. So now when, when you, when you move now to um, AI and robotics, I think what you have are um, you have, a, you have a set of uh, situations that technology can be applied to. So if we look at at AI, the, just as, we had to do in-depth conversations in order to really appreciate the jobs to be done of a particular product or experience. what what AI is doing now is going beyond the obvious correlational um, models for understanding, let's say, purchasing behavior um, to deeper, less obvious ways of understanding that experience. So um, uh, deep reinforcement learning, for example, is a whole other way of understanding data than simple correlational uh, models of understanding data. And so, You know, the the deep mind go victories, particularly this recent set of victories, is the result of enormous amounts of deep reinforcement learning um, that is exploring possibilities that could not be explored before um, because of Actually, because we didn't have two things, we didn't have enough data and we didn't have enough processing power to get the data to get out of the data. What was in the data now that we have both of those things, we have huge data, uh, big data collections, and we have these models of artificial intelligence that are really it's it's a uh trying to understand the way that these ai models work is quite fascinating passing along insights from one layer you know they 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 call them deep neural networks because they're in some ways, analogous to the brain, but not exactly. Nothing is analogous to the brain. Mm,
0: it's far um, too complex.
1: Yeah. N- n- never going to be analogous. To, never is a long yeah. time. But ne- you know, n- never going to be analogous to the brain. But but what they're doing is passing along these propositions, these kind of hypotheses, to the next level of of processors to to work on in order to find. Other insights in in basically, so these kinds of um, these kinds of technological processes are going to unearth things about our behavior that are not at all obvious to us about our behavior. so so when when brands begin to I don't know harvest those insights and begin to use them, This is what gets people so uncomfortable about Facebook, for example, Mm. that Facebook's appreciation, insights and appreciation for the dynamics of my choices is much richer and deeper than my own, right? Because my own is system one kind of, you know automatic kind of uh, operations most of the time. Right. And what's being presented to me on Facebook is the result of this kind of deep learning um, uh, analysis that AI does. And, and you know, anytime, anytime this is, uh, I chuckle because it, you know, this goes back a long way. Anytime anybody has, uh, has a demonstrable, Insight into our behavior that we don't have, we're uncomfortable, right? Right. Any it's that kind of you know. Oh, I'm a psychologist. Oh, well, you must know all my secret thoughts and feelings. Right. Uh, you
0: because know, implicit in that is vulnerability.
1: Vulnerability, exactly. Right. I mean, I can now be manipulated, or you know, whatever. Right. That's right. that's the the key to so. So AI makes us uncomfortable, and it makes us even more uncomfortable in that many times AI um, uh, designers and engineers can't really reverse engineer the process by which the AI system delivered its insights. It's a very... so. Uh, the, the the example I use um, in in one of my newsletters is that um, uh, in the first real serious Go championship matches uh, against Lee Sedol, DeepMind in game two made a move move number thirty eight that has become legendary in AI and in Go uh, uh, lore. In that it was a move that no person ever would have made in that, in the context of a go global championship, but that, but that the, but that deep mind through its, its neural network uh, algorithms recommended as the move. And that move, as it turns out, uh, what the, the, the world number five go player at the time, when that stone was placed on the go board in that spot, he looked at it for a few seconds and got up and walked away because he, he realized his, he, literally his mind was blown to the point where he had no idea how to play anymore. It was like, you know, I, 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 so, you know, that, that is extraordinary. And and just parenthetically in the last set of games, the world champion who was beaten by, uh, by, by deep mind, um, said, well, in the first set of games, um, DeepMind played Go like a human in some ways. Now it plays Go like a god. You know, you hear people at this level of proficiency and you say well I, I, you know obviously we're in a new territory with this so and that makes us uneasy at the same time as we wonder at it it also makes us very uneasy now you take that capability and you put it into a physical object in my environment a robot that now will have the benefit of all of that capability in, you know, narrow fields. We're still talking about narrow AI. We're not talking Mm -hmm. about general intelligence. We're talking about, about, you know, functionally narrow AI. But, you know,
0: domain dependent,
1: domain, domain dependent uh, AI. But, you know, you take a company like Affectiva, the emotion recognition company, and you take their database, which is now growing millions and millions and millions of facial expressions and their ability to monitor right. those facial, map those facial expressions and right. their ability to make predictions based on those and so on. Now you put that into a, into, you know, a physical object, into a robot in my presence. And now I'm going to be interacting with a robot that it's going to be hard to bullshit. For example, it's going to be right. hard to say, uh, no, I'm not angry. And the robot right. says, I don't know. You, you look like you might be a little angry. <laughs> Sort of like like that. So um, what does that mean? That means that we are about to be in the company of a new kind of species that we're going to be interacting with and that will have tremendous potential benefit for us. And at the same time, whenever we say that, we have to say, and tremendous potential harm for us. I think, for example, caregiver robots are going to be Um, You know, 20 years from now, it's going to be hard to imagine a care, you know, a nursing home, a caregiving facility of some kind that will not be replete with robots of all kinds that are going to be assisting humans, not replacing humans, assisting humans in caring for people um, because, well, because there's a lot of reasons because because. You know, we need them. The population is aging. The, you know, people who want to do those caregiver jobs, the, those numbers are down. So, um, uh, so I think all of this, brands are going to be using this, this, these advances to to their benefit. And and you know, I I, I see a very exciting time for brands in in using that technology
0: what what do you think what do you think is like a little uh just briefly, but um it's hard for me to wrap my head around uh how a brand approaches this, and perhaps that's analogous to how does a brand approach the internet, which now seems commonplace right but uh, I'm just curious about like what what do you think you know what what do you think a brand would look like? Uh, with AI on top of AI, so to speak? Maybe a brand that we already know, maybe Nike X AI. What does that look like? I don't don't really
1: know. Well, I think, first of all, I think every brand is going to be using AI and they're going to be using AI in various kinds of applications. So, you know, we know that Amazon, for example, is using AI in its appreciation of of what else I might be interested in mm-hmm. when I you know when it looks at I mean I've been an Amazon Prime customer since like the first week that mm-hmm. there was Amazon Prime so I've got I don't know I don't know how many thousand Amazon Prime purchases I've made over those years but Amazon's going to look at that data I want it to look at that data I want Amazon to look at my purchase history use its artificial intelligence insights to enable me to get to buy other things that will be, in some ways, that will resonate with that with that corpus, with that body of material that I've purchased, and to be, um, uh, 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 if they're a caregiver, if the being caringly
0: suggestive, right. not circles back to the brand personality, e- right.
1: exactly, exactly. Right. So. So um, so anyway, I think I think that's going to be uh, the the s- selective application of these technologies, according to a brand's uh, overall uh, business and personality. Yes. And so yeah. is 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 what is what we're going to see. So we'll see, you know, so of course, Uber is going to have self-driving vehicles um, in in. You know, as their as a part of their offering, because you know, basically the the operators, um, the drivers in 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 Uber's fleet are functionaries to to the main degree. Yes, you rate them, and but you know what the 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 job to be done is to move me from place to place as quickly and safely as possible. And, 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 inexpensively and the inexpensively part is going to be helped a lot by not having to pay a driver any percentage of what they charge me so they can charge me a lot less and, you know, so on. So, um, you know, it's going to, once again, as a strategic tool, AI and robotics are going to be, you know, two enormous strategic brand tools very soon. They already are, but even more so very soon. Take Lowe's, for example. Lowe's now has customer service robots that it's testing in their stores. Where? In Palo Alto. Where else would they test them, right? Mm-hmm. So so they're testing them there. And, and you know, pretty soon you're going to see a little, little cute AI robots in the, you know, in the aisles of lots and lots of different kinds of stores asking you whether or not they can help you to find stuff or what you're, you know, how, how, how was that thing you bought? You were here last week, weren't you? I remember, you know, because it's huh. got the facial recognition, you know, all of those experiments are going to be done to see what it's like to integrate these. This is new territory.
0: Congruent with brand personality, of course.
1: Which Which always is the key, right? right always the right. key.
0: Right, and Tom, tell people about your uh, podcast and your newsletter. So, because for I don't know much about AI uh, and robotics, and I'm sure everybody should be curious about it and informed about it. And clearly, um, you're doing the deep research and the deep work. So, I would love for you to tell people about it.
1: Well, well, thanks for thanks for bringing that up about. Mm about now, maybe five years ago, I, I did my doctoral dissertation in person perception, which was, you know, the mechanisms that we use to develop impressions of other people and so on. And, and um, uh, that led me to develop this model that I use in, in the class that uh, uh, we were in together. Uh, of hardware, firmware, and software, of uh, how how we interact with one another, uh, you know, our our neurophysiology and our uh, culture, cultural background, and our personal uh, psychological history as our software, and and um, I started to see robots, you know, starting to appear, and human robot interaction then became another way of thinking about human human interaction like okay we have human human interaction that's where my person perception interest came from and then human robot interaction is like well okay these are kind of like artificial people and so we're going to have to we're going to have to work with them and what is that going to be like and so what i started to think about was not what the robots were going to have to be like to be successful. That's a part of the equation. But what are people going to have to be like to be successful at collaborating with robots? And I developed a model that I called RoboPsych, which is the emotional, cognitive, and behavioral characteristics of people who are going to be successful at interacting with robots. And it's basically similar hardware, firmware, software kind of a model to, um, uh, to develop that. I'm writing a book about uh, how to, it, which, by the way, uses a lot of big five uh, and competency uh, approaches. Co- corporations for decades have used competency models to determine what are the best, char- what are the characteristics that lead to the best performance in, say, a store manager, You know, if you take a look at a store manager for a brand and you say, you know what? Our top store managers, the brands for our top rated store managers by performance ratings, those stores perform 20 percent better than the stores in the with managers who are in the lower quartile of uh, performance. So that's a lot of money, 20 percent delta between the bottom quartile and the top quartile. What distinguishes those people in the top quartile? And that's what that's what competency modeling has been about, trying to understand what those differentiators are, how to evaluate them, and how to train for them. So that's what I'm doing with RoboPsych. I'm looking at what are the characteristics of people who are outstanding at, at um, basically collaborating with robots? What kind of personality do they have? What sort of of Cognitive competencies do they have, and this, you know there's a lot of research that's been done in all these areas. So so uh, so I started this um, uh, website and podcast, um, RoboPsych podcast, and every other week uh, RoboPsych newsletter um, to explore these issues as to you know what what is human robot interaction. Uh, enabled by and what are the latest developments in human robot interaction? And um, uh, what kind of competency models can we develop to help people to get better? The whole point is that, you know, some people just like, you know, think about people in their smartphones, you know, some people just take to their smartphones and they're just like, you know, logical extensions of themselves. Other people are, they have a very hard time with them. They don't you know, they're, they're ambivalent about them or they don't feel comfortable with them or it's like any technology. Well, imagine now extend that to robots. And suddenly you're working as a sales clerk in a store and there's this robot next to you and you know, you've got to work with that robot. So, um, who are those people? How can we help people to get better at that, that interaction? That's where I'm spending a lot of my time.
0: And when will the book be out?
1: Well, that's a nasty question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I don't know. I'm okay. hoping.
1: I'm I'm hoping. I'm hoping that by year end, I'm uh, I'm I'm ready to go. But man, it's. I said that last year too. Okay. It's one of these projects that. And I'm 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 a I'm I'm a, a, an exquisite procrastinator. Yeah, it, it, it's it's so. one of these it's one of these projects that that I have to always be careful to to keep from growing way way out of control okay. but i feel comfortable about about the model that i've developed now uh so hopefully by the end of the year
0: okay and robopsych.com is that right
1: robopsych.com is the website uh go to itunes and look for the robopsych podcast and subscribe and rate it and listen i we I, i've just taken uh just now taken on a co-host dr julie carpenter uh who's a roboticist designer julie wrote a book about um uh, uh, robots in the Military, uh, fascinating book about um, what the experience was like of soldiers in the Middle East who had robots to disarm IEDs and other kinds of functions. And uh, she's she's a terrific uh, co-host. So, um, so the Robosight podcast is there for people to listen to. We look forward to, uh, uh, to um, always look forward to comments and thoughts from people on the, on the show.
0: Given the chance to turn around. It says three, but let's let's go with just one. One really bad brand, and given the time frame of only four weeks, how would you do it? What would you do? What would the brand be?
1: I hate how this question. Re- <laughs> I, hate, I hate this question. I hate this question. I hate this question because it it um, it reinforces um, uh, some of the worst stereotypes about um, uh, consulting and mm. helping. Right. Helping business leaders. I always, I've I, um, been consulting for a long time and I've made this mistake many times. When when uh, after spending a day, a week with a company, having an executive call me in and say, so, what do you think? Now, what, what isn't said is in parentheses, ass. It's, that's, you know, so what do you think? Smartass, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, is always kind of there. And it's one of those, it's one of those questions that's, that's, it, it's loaded because if you have an answer, yeah, you've basically said, well, you idiot, why didn't you, you do this?
0: this? Right, right,
1: and right. if you, if you don't have an answer, then it's, well, what good are you? So right. So with with that, as a reason why I hate this question, that that, you know, uh, turning around a brand that's, you know, in trouble in as a result of something that I would say in four weeks is magical thinking.
0: Okay. however,
1: however, (laughs) what I what I would suggest is a you probably never saw this commercial
0: No. Maybe in not.
1: the 80s in the 80s there was a commercial for and I'm not sure even which what it was for but it was a it was for a brand that was in trouble and the CEO called in about 20 executives okay. and said we're in trouble mm-hmm. and here's what we're going to do and and the CEO started handing out airplane tickets and saying, you're going to go see this customer. You're going to go see this customer. You're going to, I'm going to go see this customer and we're going to find out what's real about what they think about us. So the first thing I would do would be to, to have that brand say, let's stop and figure out where are we screwing up? What are we doing that's not connecting? And listening, really listening to those answers and um, not dismissing them, you know, Every time you go into an organization and you make a suggestion, there's always going to be somebody who said, "Ah, we heard that before. We did that before. That didn't work. This didn't work because everybody wants, you know, I've got this stupid saying that I use, but I use it often, which is everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, Mm -hmm. you know. Everybody wants their brand to be successful, but nobody wants to go through what it's going to take to change it to be successful. It's very, very painful and difficult and often leads to a lot of change and people being replaced and all of those kinds of things. So that's the thing that I would do would be go talk to key customers and find out what's real about their experience of interacting with your brand.
0: Which brand would it be?
1: Well, I would say that um, uh, Walmart,
0: Hmm.
1: Walmart is a brand that I think um, has the potential because they have so much firepower Hmm. to modernize. It's an interesting brand in that, you know, they're technologically very savvy. They're very, they're obviously to get there, to build a machine that delivers the kind of volume of product that they deliver on a, on a, a a reliable basis is an enormous, enormous challenge. And they've been very successful at that, but their brand is just damaged in the modern world. So I Think it'd be fascinating to have that conversation with them about well, first of all, about their desire to you know if there's no desire to have the brand be anything other than it is, then fine you know it's like you know it's like it's like Uber uber's Uber's you know I mean you know if the, if if there was such an archetype, Uber would be the archetype of the jerk, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Because yeah. Because, they, are, you know, it's like, wow, well, yeah, we're jerks. All right. Yep. We yeah. are jerks. But but the problem is the problem in quotes, the problem is they're so damn good at their functionality that their jerkiness almost it, it's its not like it doesn't hurt them because it does hurt them. Yeah, it hurts them being jerky, but um, uh, it doesn't hurt them enough because they're so damn functionally powerful and i think the same thing also is true for walmart i think they could they could what how did costco clean their clock in in basically their territory i mean they have sam's club right how did costco clean their clock costco cleaned their clock by having a very different uh message than walmart's right which they which they emphasize you know to their employees you know, health benefits and hmm. all the kind. I mean, there's a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's that whole consistency of message, um, that's absent or that is off that, that alienates in the Walmart case that I think uh, attracts in the, uh, the Costco case.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So, so last, last regular question and then I just got some really quick, uh, stream of consciousness kind of quick fire questions. So given the chance to improve your knowledge of brand building, which is obviously vast already, um, who would you share a spaceship with? So let's say going to Mars, just you two, um, to understand how they approach brand building. Who would it be? Why?
1: Well, I mean, it really would be Jeff Bezos. I mean, Jeff Bezos is, is a he's a he's a genius. He's a genius in in building brands. And take 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 what he did with with buying the Washington Post. Why Why would he buy the Washington Post? Well, he bought the Washington Post because it. It's one of the pillars of um, American journalism, and its demise would have been a blow to to the country. And so, what does that have to do with Amazon? I think it has a lot to do with Amazon. It has to do with that um, commitment to care, to caring for people to have access to um, important information and to be able to get it um, as quickly as possible. So I think Jeff Bezos, I would that would be a, a, a great uh, um, experience, I think, to spend time with him talking about it.
0: Great. Awesome. Okay. Um, now, so just some quick, quick fire questions. I'm just going to say a phrase or a word, and I want to know the first thing that comes to your mind. So um, when I say culture, you think...
1: Dynamism, um, the uh, culture is is the culture is the engine of evolution in the in in, in our era. Uh, it, it's you know, we used to evolve uh, as a result of natural selection on a DNA basis. And that's still happening. But the pace at which that happens is very different than the pace at which culture, the, the dynamism of culture drives evolution. So I think of those. Dynamism and, and evolution.
0: When I say branding, you think?
1: Fundamentals. Fundamentals. I think, you know, back to, you know, the basic principles of, you know, why, what, and how.
0: Brands of the past are? I,
1: I, I, I think they, they were hypeable. It, it It was possible to build a brand on hype in the past. Um, I don't believe it's possible to build a brand on hype in the present and in the future.
0: Brands today are
1: I, I think of them as performance artists. Um, they're they're constantly on uh, on display, performing their stories and um Uh, you know, the best performance artists improvise and stay within characters and playful. And, you know, I think, I think those are the, those are the best brands today. They're great performance artists.
0: Brands in the future need to.
1: Well, I think they need to demonstrate care. They, they, they need to, uh, first of all, they need to have care. You know, (laughs) you can't demonstrate care. If you don't have care, if you are not caring Uh, for if you are not living out care across the board of the why, the what, and the how, um, then you're not going to be able to, to be credible, but, uh, being able to do so, I think is a great, is a powerful tool for brands today, tomorrow.
0: Tom, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I enjoyed the conversation a lot.
0: I did too. I did too. Okay. So that was really good, right? Uh, Tom and I touched on some really great and interesting topics. So I know that I learned a ton and I'll be coming back to visit the episode a bunch of times and hopefully uh, you all really enjoyed it as well. So until next time, um, have a good morning, maybe afternoon, maybe evening. I don't really know, but enjoy it. Take care.